Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Hey everyone, welcome and uh, out in podcast land, YouTube land, wherever you're listening to this from. Today I have Dr. Ben Bates with me and he is a functional chiropractor, functional medicine expert, uh, clinical nutritionist, um, he's an ex-bodybuilder, he was Mr. Los Angeles back in the day, very fascinating man. And today we do a deep dive into gut health especially, we're looking at all aspects of gut health and also um, we do a bit of a dive into cholesterol as well. So I hope you enjoy this podcast if you're struggling with any digestive issues, if you know that you the 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 seat of your immune system is 80% in your gut then you know that's really really important to look after your gut health so i hope you enjoy this episode um before we head over to the show if you are wanting to test your microbiome if you're wanting to do some functional medicine testing with me please reach out um you can book a consult with me i can help you work out what tests that we should get for you um, if you want to uh, look under the hood at what's actually going on in your body, whether that be organic acid testing, microbiome, heavy metal testing, thyroid, hormones, Dutch testing, um, there's there's literally hundreds of tests that we can run uh, and help you work out whatever problem it is that you're dealing with. So um, head over to lisatarmody.com. If you go over to the shop, there's a consultation button that you can look at or you can just reach out to my team, support at lisatarmody.com. Dot com. Let me know what you're dealing with and we'll get back to you with some information on what we could, uh, how we could work together. So um, without further ado now, we'll get over to the show with Dr. Ben Bates. Well, hi everyone and welcome back to Pushing the Limits today. I have found another wonderful superstar for you guys to learn from. Dr. Ben Bates, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you. Lisa, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's just going to be so exciting. We're going to dive into, well, we'll probably go all over the show knowing me because I'm a little bit, um, you know, ADHD, but we're meant to hear be talking about gut health. But Dr. Ben, can you just give us a little bit of a background on, on you and how did you get to where you are today and what you do? Great. So I'm a sports chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner in Santa Monica, California, and I've been practicing for 35 years. And uh, I started off as a sports chiropractor, but I was also into health and nutrition and did bodybuilding and learned how to manipulate my body fat percentage. And, and so was really interested in how to use nutrition to modulate health and, and even appearance, et cetera. And every year I would go and listen to Dr. Jeffrey Bland, who had oh, given wow. this annual talk. And I, I, Definitely became a land of fight. And, uh, I used to get his audio tape. Um, <laughs> he, every month he would put out, we would get these cassette tapes. We would play in the car that gives away how old I am. Wow. And, uh, we, it was great. It was, it was called preventative medicine update and then functional medicine update. And, and, uh, so Dr. Bland, for people who don't know, is uh, a lot of wow. people recognize him as the father of functional medicine and, yeah. Every year it would just blow my mind away with these new concepts about functional medicine. And then I went through this 
through the Institute of Functional Medicine and, and their training program. And, uh, and then I've been, um, I've had my own podcast, Rational Wellness, yeah. for the last six and a half years. I also organize a monthly discussion group for functional medicine practitioners and we bring in speakers. And so I'm really, uh, devoted to spreading the word about functional medicine. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And to go from being Mr. Los Angeles in 1985, <laughs> wow. I think you and I are probably about the same age or same vintage, I'd say. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to where you are today and, you know, to go through chiropractic, which is, you know, I've got so many friends who are chiropractors who are now, you know, going into the functional medicine space and they seem to be very open to all of that. It seems to be um, a, a much easier sell than it is to the allopathic medicine community. <laughs> there seems to be more chiropractors that are open to to functional medicine, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but you, you have a, a flourishing practice where you still do chiropractic, but you've just moved on into these all these other areas and functional nutrition and all of this sort of stuff. And I really wanted to sort of dive into with you today into the gut because you know the gut is the seat of our immunity. It's like 80% or something of our immune system is, resides in the gut. And uh, so many systems are impacted by the gut, right? So we need to make sure that we've got good gut health. And you, you're the man to ask about that. And you've also interviewed, like, you know, I love your podcast, Rational Wellness. Everyone go and uh, listen to Rational Wellness podcast. Uh, absolutely fabulous. Well, where should we take this conversation for a start? What are you seeing in your practice and, and in, you know, working with your patients um, as being some of the most common problems in gut health? Well, I mean, the most common problems are things like IBS and reflux. And, and these fit into a category that we often refer to as functional gastrointestinal disorders. And by functional, what that means is there's nothing clearly structural. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you typically patients go to see a gastroenterologist and one of the first things they'll do is they'll put a scope either up through your butt or down through your mouth and they do either a colonoscope or an endoscope and then they're looking for structural things that they can see. And um, unfortunately, with conditions like IBS and reflux, um, there's nothing you can see. And we right. can throw dysbiosis in there and... So, you know, these are the types of conditions that uh, a lot of that have been that they're the most common and yet they're the least understood. And for years, uh, even gastroenterologists would often just think of these conditions as stress related and sometimes prescribe antidepressants. <laughs> yeah, something and, wrong up here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Especially since IBS is way more common in women. And, you know, we know they're all hysterical, <laughs> hysterical anyway. Hysterical woman. And, you know, yeah, that exactly, was exactly. Isn't that rude? Well, wow. It is rude. The interesting thing, though, is um, there may actually be some value in taking antidepressants, not because yeah. of helping with their mood, but because <laughs> the... Uh, the intestine has a huge number of serotonin receptors. And by stimulating those serotonin receptors, you actually help to reset the motility of the gut. Wow. Well, is that one positive thing for SSRIs? Of course, absolutely. You know, it's 
And they, people think of them as completely benign, but they actually uh, decrease your overall mortality rate. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, as someone who was on an SSRI for way too many years, they are addictive too. Like you try oh, and get they off are those the most things. difficult drugs to get off of. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it took me three years to titrate down. You know, wow. like yeah, and and you know, you you know, I was stuck on them in my early twenties when I was going through a breakup or something, and and hello, you're stuck on these damn things for <laughs> forever in a day, and you don't know how to get off them, and. You know, exactly. All, how how all, irresponsible. Um, oh, I'm feeling depressed. Well, is there anything going on? I, I just had this bad breakup. Well, that's no reason to go on an antidepressant necessarily. There's a physical reason, why, you know, why you're having these symptoms and it's normal. Yeah, Unless exactly. it continues and goes on and on or becomes severe enough where you can't function. Yeah, exactly. And and there's there's so much interaction. It's a bit the same with the contraceptive pill, you know, which is, you know, how many 80% of the world's women's population has been on or is on the pill and the implications for gut health on with with the pill, let alone things like thyroid and, you know, uh, uh, the changes in your way you think even and the way you choose a mate and all of these things Absolutely. are impacted by the yep. pill, um, yep. you know, cancers and all the rest of it. Um, you know, we, we and th- this is the thing, you know, with functional medicine, you, you're looking for the root cause. You're looking for um, where is the problem? I mean, with contraceptive pills, we know we're trying to pr- avoid there. <laughs> it's pretty clear, but knowing the implications of what you are doing, um, that often comes out years later. You know that oh, hi, hi, hello, we've uh, we've done this <laughs> this worldwide experiment uh, right. with with the female population, and we've got a few problems that have popped up now. You know that we've. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you're putting women into chemical menopause. Yeah, and just shutting down a whole system in your body and expecting things to just be normal, you know. Right. Now, there may be cases where it's it's necessary, but there's a lot of cases where it's not, and it's just easy to throw uh, birth control pills at a problem like PCOS or any sort of menstrual issues, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's exactly, I mean, you know, um, anecdotally that's exactly what happened to me at the age of 13 I was having problems because I had endometriosis as it turned right. out years and years and years later when I discovered that but their answer was stick me on the pill that makes it easy it goes away all the symptoms go away but yes it's a right. bandage and you know like a, a festering problem underneath um and and you know which infertility and all of those sorts of things the consequences. Yeah, I mean, really, these these uh, birth control pills should come with a warning that says these should only be taken for a limited period of time, just like proton pump inhibitors, oh. which are taken for reflux and basically a whole host of gastrointestinal symptoms. You know, you have stomach pain, you have nausea, you have, you know. So what else? We'll just put you on a PPI, put you on an acid blocking medication, which. The label says is only to be taken for a short period of time, and yet patients are taking them for years, and they're suppressing their hydrochloric acid secretion, and that has all kinds of effects, including increasing your risk for SIBO, which is the main cause of IBS. <laughs> this one of my pet peeves is PPIs, you know, you know, Meprazole and Co and all these things, because. When we take away our stomach acid, the implications are huge. I had Dr. Nathan Bryan on, who's a nitric oxide genius, amazing man. Right. Have to interview him. Um, 
on that nitric oxide, and that's impacted. The nitric oxide um, is 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 not no longer produced when you don't have enough stomach acid. You know, like, uh, and then there's protein synthesis and the mi- mineral uptake and B12 and you know all of these things that are that are implicated by having not enough stomach acid. Absolutely. And SIBO, you know, like SIBO. Um, is is rife and, and SIBO is something that I've struggled with a little bit to learn, you know, because it's a little bit hard to um, uh, the testing is there's controversy over the testing, and I know you've interviewed a few experts on SIBO. So tell us a little bit about SIBO. What is what is your take on what's going on, and how common is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth? For those listening, right, exactly, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and so. Um, this, this we believe is the cause of most cases of irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. Uh, the studies indicate 60 to 70% of the patients with IBS have SIBO and maybe even more. Um, so the best way to test for SIBO is to use the uh, SIBO breath test. Mm-hmm. And the most common, um, uh, reagent we use is lactulose. Lactulose, not so, glucose. Right. So, um, so basically what happens is you follow a low fiber diet for a day because you want to, so, so the concept of, so the concept of what's going on with SIBO is that your large intestine, that's where your microbiome is. And there's huge numbers, billions, trillions of bacteria that are supposed to be growing there. They produce gas, butyrate, etc. And it's fine. The large intestine is this large expandable organ. And um, we used to having tons of bacteria. There's not, not a huge amount of absorption of nutrients that takes place there. And so that's all great. But the small intestine is a smaller tube. It doesn't expand as much as the large intestine. And that's where most of the absorption of nutrients takes place. Mm -hmm. So having a, so there's supposed to be a small amount of bacteria along that tube. But if you have more than a small amount, um, then that's going to A, interfere with absorption of nutrients. And then B, whenever you consume fermentable fiber, those bacteria will consume that fermentable fiber and produce gas. Mm-hmm. And the three most common gases are hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide. And mm-hmm. so the way we test for SIBO is we have, a, a, as I started to explain, we have the patient follow a diet that's low in fiber, especially fermentable fiber. Mm-hmm. And then they wake up in the morning, they, um, for, they breathe into um, these little bags to see if there's hydrogen, methane, or hydrogen sulfide gas. And, and then they consume um, a substrate, and the most common substrate is lactulose. So lactulose is a fermentable fiber. And then you measure the, um, the you, you, you do another breath test. Yep. Every 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending upon the protocol and the test you're using for either two or three hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the general understanding is, is if there is a more than a certain level of methane, if there's a rise in hydrogen of more than 20, um, uh, 20, um, 
uh, I forgot what it is, uh, millimeters. Yeah. Um, Within uh, either 90, the current protocol is 90 minutes. It used to be 105. Mm. But, you know, there, there may be issues with uh, what the time should be depending upon the person's transit time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the North American consensus is to use 90 minutes. Uh huh. Uh huh. If there's a rise within the 90 minutes and the person is positive for SIBO and, and then we specify whether they're high with hydrogen gas, methane gas, and uh, the new trio test also measures hydrogen sulfide. The and new that's trio, kind of, is that, is that a, because that one I don't think we have here in New Zealand. The, the, okay. The, yeah. I think we've only got the old version, which has the, the two, the hydrogen, hydrogen and the methane. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and methane can be low because doesn't the hydrogen sulfide actually eat the, you know, or the bacteria eat the methane sometimes. So it gives a false positive, uh, false negative. Um, Close. Yeah. They're very similar. So the methanogens, by the way, the methanogens are actually not bacteria. Uh-huh. They're, they're actually primitive archaea. Oh, okay. So it's a microorganism similar to a bacteria, but different. And for that reason, um, instead of calling it methane SIBO, which we've done for years, Dr. Pimentel, uh, calls it emo, intestinal methanogen overgrowth. Uh-huh. And um, so that's one of the new concepts. And and then um, hydrogen sulfide is the third gas, which uh, required quite a bit of redoing of the test procedures. And now we have the TRIO uh, test that measures that third gas as well. It sounds like that's not available in Australia yet. Yeah, New Zealand. I'm in New Zealand. So New they- Zealand. Yeah, um, I, I, I believe so. Like the, um, and I have to d- dig a little bit deeper into that because y- you need to understand, w- you know, what type it is, whether you're methane or, or hydrogen yes. or hydrogen sulfide. Absolutely. Uh, positive. Yeah. And, and when you are, when you have, what are some of the symptoms that people could be looking for? Cause this is more common than we realize, isn't it? Like uh, the most people oh, yes. are aware of. Yeah, we, estimates are 15 to 20% of the population may suffer with this. Wow. So huge numbers of people. Yeah. And s- symptoms, you know, some people so don't. The most common, yeah. yeah, the most common symptoms, uh, number one, I think is gas and bloating. Mm-hmm. Number two is stomach pain. Um, uh, number three is change in bowel habits. So either constipation, diarrhea, or alternating the two, mm-hmm. um, there can be um, urgency where you just have to go right away. There can be nausea. And then there can be a whole series of other symptoms depending upon the person. You can have skin issues like rosacea. You can have a brain fog. You can, you, you name it, there can be a bunch of other symptoms. And this but those are the most common ones. Yeah, the difficult thing with SIBO is that you know when you when you do a microbiome test, for example, and you know look look through, you know, does this person have parasites, bacteria? Is there, um, you know, are they producing enough short chain fatty acids? Are they, they how's their digestive enzymes looking? Their steatocrit, if they are they breaking their fats down, um, zonulin, if they got leaky gut, you know, all of these aspects that we look at and. 
then you know we we we're wanting people to eat fiber and we're wanting people to eat a lot more lot more vegetables and get more short chain fatty acids from eating you know un- unfermentable fibers and um it, it, but when it comes to SIBO, it's the opposite advice, isn't it? And this is the you know like cut out all the uh you know the the garlic and the onions and cut out all the uh, you know do a fodmap and um you know do the low fiber and it's like oh wow you've just chopped out all of these healthy foods uh, explain that one to people because they're like what what i've been told all my life to eat my veggies and now you're telling me don't eat my veggies <laughs> uh look you're absolutely right and this is why most of the protocols that uh, myself and so many other leading practitioners in the world of SIBO and IBS feel that those protocols for reducing the bacteria needs to be a short-term recommendation. Yeah. Because if you do it for too long, you're going to decrease your microbiome. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of controversy in this world. So I recently um, uh, interviewed uh, Dr. Harolik who's in Australia, and he's really worried that the antimicrobials we use can damage the microbiome. I personally haven't found that to be the case, but um, we're having an ongoing discussion about that. In in uh, meaning the pharmaceutical antimicrobials? No, no, even the herbal ones. Even like oregano and things like that? Yeah, yeah. And we, we've wow. been exchanging some data. He showed me some studies about berberine showing yeah. decreases in the bacteria. But, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think that, uh, my reading of those particular studies, um, we get into a bit of a controversy here. Yeah. No, it's that, great though, because we it, need to. Is, so berberine is a really interesting compound. Yeah, so, I love it. I love berberine. Yeah. So berberine is great. And, you know, it's a really commonly used tool in the functional medicine world. Not only is it a really effective antimicrobial, but it's great for managing blood sugar. Absolutely. It's one, it's one of the only compounds that's ever been discovered that has been shown in Valid scientific research to reverse atherosclerosis, actually reverse blacking in arteries. So berberine is amazing. And berberine has been shown to be equally effective as metformin. And people have been trying to understand exactly the mechanism for how metformin works. And um, I think we've discovered now that the way that berberine works to control blood sugar is by its effect on the microbiome. So mm-hmm. the fact that the studies show decrease in certain bacteria in the microbiome is exactly, I believe, how berberine is controlling blood sugar. And we think that um, there's some evidence that that's how metformin works too. So it- modulation oh, of the wow. microbiome rather than damaging the microbiome. So, you know, like you got the formicutes to bacteroides, erodites, uh, uh, ratios. And, and, you know, if you've got too much of the, which way around is it formicutes, you, you've got too much, you're extracting too much energy from your carbs. Uh, does it, does it increase the bacteroides phyla? Well, you know what? I, I think that ratio is kind of interesting, but mm. my take on it is in terms of the research on the microbiome, if we actually had the ability to measure all of the bacteria and microbes and microorganisms 
and even viruses and fungi that are natural to the uh, microbiome. I think you could take the most extensive stool test and it, it's measuring about this much. And this is how much the microbiome includes. Yeah. And so I think even that for Mickey T's uh, bacteroidetes ratio is really just scratching the surface. I think it's way more complex than that. Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about support the show and keeping it on air and for a coffee mm-hmm. or two mm-hmm. a and month this is, that would be super fantastic exciting, if you though, can come and join us you know Burberry you can is go one to of my patron.lisatamati.com and check it all metformin. out and then I started reading the research around you know the deficiencies that metformin can cause and the gut problems that it can cause and I think it's and, it, and, it is a and, powerful. and it, it inhibits the, um, the mitochondria yeah, exactly. And then when you're doing training and you're trying to get results with training, exactly, um, you know, you can't produce as much energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and like, you know, I've used it in my mum's cancer protocol, and I think there it has a, a a definite role to play. But I've actually swapped us both out now, Beverly, because of the, the the you know not so much deficiency problems in B12 yeah. and all of those sorts of things that come along with yeah. with metformin. Um, yeah, I take yeah. I take berberine every day. I take yeah, five hundred milligrams twice a day, and yep. I'm mainly doing it for longevity purposes. Me too. <laughs> yep. Management of blood sugar and weight management, and you know all of that sort of stuff is, right. um, you know, cutting off. Now, now, some people have called it a, a natural ozembic, and I <laughs> yeah. talked to one one of the supplement manufacturers. I tried to order some more berberine, and he said. He said, I got to tell you, somebody wrote an article that berberine is a natural ozembic uh, <laughs> and we're sold out. <laughs> uh, hey, I've, got, but, I've still got some in my range if you're but really I, <laughs> I, You know, I have to tell you, it's not a natural ozempic. It doesn't, no. does it, it doesn't not a GLP produce one. Us, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's an amazing compound and I, I don't think it damages the microbiome. So, so, um, the, the, the strategies, I, I still like to use what Jeffrey Bland taught us so many years ago, which is the 4R program. Mm-hmm. And that's remove, yep. replace, um, re-inoculate, and repair. repair. And yep. so, the re, it, so the remove phase means reducing the bacteria that are either overgrown, um, as in the case of SIBO, or dysbiosis, or get rid of the parasites, or the pathogenic bacteria, or the fungi. And um, in my practice as a chiropractor, um, we don't prescribe medication. So we use various types of herbs and other nutritional products. And then we often put the patients on a lower FODMAP diet mm-hmm. to decrease the amount of fermentable fiber that you were talking about. Yeah, for a while. For and, a while. Well, you know, the key is, uh, depending upon what's going on, making sure that that's only for a limited period of time. Exactly. And, and I try to emphasize to the patients at the beginning and over and over again, that it's really important that we're not going to do this forever. Yeah. Because the problem is when they start feeling good, 
they don't want to go back to eating all the other foods. But it, when we get back to repairing and rebuilding and re-inoculating the microbiome, you need to be eating those fermentable fibers. And it's really difficult, isn't it? Like, you you know, you've got these people are sensitive to, you know, um, all these fibers and stuff, but they need the fibers. And so we're, we're running people low. So you can you can get away with it for a while because your nutritional status is hopefully good enough from the get-go. Right. And you, you're going to, you know, it's a, it's a bit like, you know, the argument with, you know, veganism, carnivore and blah, blah, blah. I think all of these diets are good for a certain amount of time until you start depleting whatever that diet is, is deficient in, you know, yeah. and then it stops working. So, you know, you might get some amazing ref- uh, effects being on a vegan diet for 12 weeks or something. And then, hello, you know, you start to run out of things if you're not really, really careful and really putting in the right combination of, of you know, foods. There's kind of a general principle that I think a lot of us are in the natural medicine world know because it exists in so many different parts of health and that there's a healthy balance and you don't yeah. want to go too far one way or the other. I yep. was just working with a patient a little while ago and her cholesterol was up and she had a little bit of blockage in one of her carotid arteries, you know, and we've gotten the cholesterol down. We're using Reggie's rice. We've changed the diet. And guess what happened? Her vitamin D started coming down. Wow. Um, you know, her okay. testosterone started coming down. And, you know, I was explaining to her, that's because we got your cholesterol down. Oh, yeah. we tested her CoQ10. <laughs> that's down too. Well, of course, there's this balance. And, you know, we want to tip it so it's in a healthy direction, but we don't want to do this and we don't want to do that. And that's why I love like the, 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 the natural, um, stuff, you know, is, is, is first line, you know, at least because when you, when you look at pharmaceutical interventions, most of them are just forcing pathways and they're a single ingredient and they're not in a complex and they're not, you know, and even when the nutritional side, you know, there's that argument of, you know, um, you know, I was, I was talking about uh, with a with a colleague, spermidine, which I love. You know, spermidine is a fantastic autophagy inducer and great longevity molecule. And then we were having discussions around, you know, the 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 natural variants with the spermine and the and the uh, putrescine in it. It's a net complex, you know, versus just being the spermidine. It, by itself, is, is that a better effect? And in most things in, in life, they come. You know, ascorbic acid is another one. You know, getting it in the complex, in the in a piece of citrus fruit, the the uh, the, the vitamin C complex of flavonoids and things that are in there versus the ascorbic acid that's been extracted from that, you know, is probably a better way to do it. I mean, not if you're doing intravenous, <laughs> that's another, you know. I, but you I, know I, I will say if you were the person who developed <laughs> spermidine um, and then you decided to combine it with putrescine, uh, your marketing department is probably <laughs> saying, you just probably picked the worst two names you oh, yeah. could possibly pick if you want to talk people into taking a product. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actually using it in the formulations at the moment and, and uh, you know, discussing the synthetic versus the natural variants and the, you know, the, 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 the pros and cons. Yeah, and putrescine and spermidine did not sound attractive, eh? <laughs> but, 
you can use it in your marketing to go, well, this is a funny name. Like let's let's <laughs> talk about the origins of these names right. and why it's in there and why it's not that horrible when you actually um have you know it. you're you're on the cutting edge of the longevity research. So spermidine is definitely one of those compounds. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It is it is absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. Another product that has a horrible name is Urolithin A, you know, that's <laughs> one. <laughs> <laughs> and that one's so bloody hard to get. We're trying to get that at the moment from formulations. And also a very exciting one, you know, urolithin A is something that we produce in our microbiome, right? But if you haven't right. got the right bacteria, and I wonder how many compounds are like that, that if you don't have the right bacteria, you're not actually producing the thing, you know, like urolithin A, um, that would be so oh, beneficial. absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard about the whole controversy over TMAO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vascular risk. Yeah. Well, the reality is, if you have a good, healthy microbiome, you won't produce TMAO. Yeah, exactly. So it's not a problem. It's, you know, this idea that you shouldn't eat foods that have choline or L-carnitine because they can be converted into TMAO in the gut. Well, if you have a healthy microbiome, that won't happen. You won't have elevated TMAO levels. So, you know, we're all focused on telling people not to eat eggs or not to eat meat. And of course, it's become a new hammer in the uh, tool chest for vegans to hit anybody who believes in animal (laughs) products over the head. Um, <laughs> and I, and, and I, it, that was suspect from the get go. I mean, they were selling tests that were testing for a TAMAO. Um, and yeah, I do think that, yeah, that's, it's always, everything is always overly simplified in the media, right? Everything, there's no nuance to any of the conversations or any personalization. And, and, you know, for me, you know, <laughs> Personalization is where it's at. You 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 need to. Right. When people say to me, "What's the right diet?" and I'm like, "Well, it depends on your your <laughs> your goals, your genetics, your stage of life, your comorbidities. Where do you want to start? You know, oh, right. oh, is it that your microbiome? You, what <laughs> yeah. else is going on with you? You know, what it, what are your labs showing? You know, what's your cholesterol stat? Your cardiovascular risk? Your blood sugar levels? Exactly. There's no one size fits all. We want it right. to be. And, and right. anything that forces one size fits all on everybody is just wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, so I levels. mean, if functional medicine stands for anything, it stands for personalized care. Yeah, yeah. And we're getting better and better at that. You know, we, we didn't have all the opportunities, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago that we have now with genetics and, you know, microbiome testing and all of this sort of stuff where we can actually personalize. So it's really, you know, it's an exciting time to be alive, really, for people like you and me trying to trying to work all this out. And it is a puzzle. Like it's... You, you, it is you, a puzzle. And I, I do think that, and here, here I want to talk about something that's a little bit controversial is uh, there's a trend among a few of the popular... Um, podcasters in a functional medicine world to say that we don't really need to do all this testing. It's just overly expensive and it's, it's, you know, it's not necessary and we could just tell from symptoms and you come in with gut symptoms and I could just give you um, some probiotics and just follow this protocol. And that's not personalized care. Personalized care requires knowing how your metabolism works, how your body works, how your body reacts to 
different stimuli. And we can only do that by testing. And unfortunately, the testing most of the time is not going to be covered by insurance. But we do our best to make it as inexpensive as possible. And, and, you know, in terms of investing in your health, the amount of money you're going to spend, even if it's a thousand or two thousand dollars, in my opinion, is a drop in the bucket for having, um, better long-term health because I mean, <laughs> I mean to that. and this is, the, I mean, it is people think, but I think, you know, we've, we've grown up in a world in a, in a country where you've got social medicine, everything's paid for, but it's created. Right. Why this should paradigm. I, why should I have to pay for it? Yeah. Yeah. But you pay for what you get. I tell you, 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 if you're in that system, you need to, you need to understand that that's going to cover the absolute bare minimum and it's going to be promoting only pharmaceuticals because that's the way it's set up and the, the system is designed and developed that way. And it's not going to be looking at anything outside of that box and it's not going to give you the data and it's not going to be cutting edge and it's going to be 30 years behind the latest stuff. And it, it, it is, you know, it's 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 a struggle because you got you know, the wealthy people who can afford to do all of this, and then the ones who can't. And then we're trying to you know, you're always as a practitioner trying to guess you know to a certain degree yes. because you can't afford yep. to get every data. Absolutely, we to. try to be as 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 uh, cost conscious for our patients as we can. I know I certainly am, and try to use the bare minimum amount yeah. of testing and. Um, but still, I mean, it's, 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 you, you need to have some data as to how that person's body works if you want to be yeah. more scientific and accurate. Yeah. And otherwise you're just playing a guessing game and it's, right. um, it's a struggle, but we have this mentality. If I've got it for free, why should I be paying? I can tell yeah, you. Have you noticed this? This is kind of interesting. You know, I, I get into this discussion all the time and patients go, well, you know, I just had my labs done. I had everything tested. Yeah. And, and they come back and, and basically they had a, a CBC and a chem screen. So yeah, no, he's got yeah. labs back from Vibrant. The CBC's on one page, the chem screen's on one page. They come in and they have like 30 pages because they put red blood cells on one page, white blood cells, every, every part of these tests, they put on a separate page. And I'm wondering if they're doing that just to make it seem like a lot of testing yeah. when it's really not. It's this much information that exactly. you're actually gleaning from it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and that's only serum blood levels, you know, and we know that there's limitations right. with things like, you know, B12 or folate or uh, oh, magnesium. Or, you're not going to get a really good picture from serum. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Most nutrients, vitamin D is an exception, but most nutrients, serum levels are not going to be indicative of tissue levels of what your body needs. Yeah. And then it's really, really complicated with things like copper, for example, when you need to know, you know, your free copper and your cerulean plasmin and your, you know, your zinc levels and your zinc copper ratios and your, all of these sort of aspects that you, you think, oh no, I just checked that my copper's not too high or too low. No, right. <laughs> we wish it was that simple, but it doesn't. <laughs> I know. I was just reading an article in the New, New England Journal of Medicine, and they had a guy who was a welder, and um, uh, he had, was having all these cognitive dementia symptoms. And uh, because serum levels of manganese are not accurate, they just assume that he had manganese toxicity. Oh. which I guess is common from welding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they, they put him on a chelation program and he got better. And, you know, I thought that was great that they recognize the dangers of heavy metals. But are you telling me just because serum levels didn't show it that there's no other way to test for manganese? We can look at manganese excretion through urine. We, you know, there's other ways to test for it. Yeah. Organic acids and all of that sort of stuff is, a, you know, really yep. good testing and uh, heavy metals and hair. And in and, and all of these tests, you know, some of them have limitations and they don't always agree and blah, blah, blah. You know, there's different um, accuracy. But that's the case with all testing. Yeah, exactly. But you do get pushback, you know, from from allopathic medicine world of like, what is this test? You know, what is that showing? You know? <laughs> well, unfortunately... They don't read all the literature mm. and they're busy. And a lot of the information they get is when the pharmaceutical rep comes by and tells them what the latest drug does and gives them some information or drops off some handouts or some study. And um, if for some reason, if you publish a drug study, uh, if you publish a, a study on um, vitamins or minerals or nutrients, and and it's negative or shows no benefit, it gets published in the New England Journal of Medicine or the AMA Journal. And if it's positive, <laughs> it has no chance of getting published there. <laughs> that get published in the uh, <clears throat> American Journal of Clinical Nutrition or one of the other journals that those of us in the functional medicine world are more likely to read. Yeah, in other words, it's suppressed. So we kind of have like siloed yep. information, you know? Yep. Yep. It's in safer. the United States, if you're a Republican, you watch this channel. If you're a Democrat, you watch this channel. And we're not even getting the same information. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's sort of what's happening between allopathic medicine and functional medicine. We, we think need that, to get yeah. together and work together. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? You know, like I think that there's definitely the functional medicine space is growing and health coaches are growing and allied professionals are, you know, starting to have a, an impact. And I think people are starting to get frustrated with the the current model, at least over here where you've got 10 minutes with your doctor, it takes two months to get in and you, you come out with a pill that you don't know what it does and how it works or what you, you know. And, and, and you've ended up with 10 pills and then there's no, like, there's no cross and there's no, uh, I was listening to Dr. Peter Osborne, who I love. Um, he's fabulous. Um, and, and he was, you know, talking about if you got a client that's come in or a patient that's come in, it's got 10 and 11 different polypharmacy. We don't know the interactions of all those polypharmacies and we right. don't actually know the interactions of some of the supplements too, by the way. But when right. you, when you, when you, when you put all these chemicals together, that it's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one could right. e equal something new. <laughs> and we don't know what that new is. And rarely do they really get told about all the possible side effects. How, how many no. times when somebody gets prescribed an antidepressant are they told that this is going to decrease your mortality? No, no, never. Never. Right. <laughs> that wouldn't be selling drugs very well, would it? <laughs> But, you know, let, let's, <laughs> let's rein it in because I think we could get on our soapboxes right now. Um, <laughs> coming back to the, the gut, I've got, a, I've, got, I've got a curly one for you, no pun intended. Um, it, it, what do you do? I, 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 a, a very tricky case that I wanted, wanted to ask you. Um, I've got a case where someone who has had a full colectomy, like the full colon taken out, and uh, Crohn's Crohn's disease. Um, yes, a lot of issues, leaky gut, 
uh, dysbiosis, um, y- y- you name it, they were put on um, uh, proton pump inhibitors, uh, yeah, steroids, uh, et cetera, et cetera. What the heck do you do there when you've got like that part of the body is now missing? So I you've know. only got the small intestine where, you know, you can get your nutrients, your SIBO, uh, you, you know, like that's a, it's a complicated one, eh? you know. Um, it, it is a complicated one. And um, I, I guess in some patients, there's a little sac that forms um, that where you can have some microbiome. Um, that's what uh, I'm wondering, whether it's creating. Yeah, where is colon. the microbiome? If the microbiome is so important, how can you be healthy without a colon if that's where your microbiome is? You know, I've asked Dr. Pimentel this question. Yeah. And um, he says that patients can be healthy and there are patients who seem to do pretty well. I, I don't quite understand exactly what happens with the microbiome in such patients. Yeah. But. I, you know, I look in terms of, do you treat them for SIBO? It depends if they have the symptoms. Yeah. You know, and I wouldn't test that. them just to test them, but if they're getting a lot of gas and bloating and, and constipation or diarrhea, you know, I would test them. And I think, you know, one of the things about using like the herbs, they're going to modulate the system. They're not just going to wipe everything out. Yeah, and I and I think too, you know, like with people like gallbladder removals, you know, which is another very common, just this whip out an organ, um, is you you know, does the body adjust itself? Like I I think that the body will go, okay, well, we've had this massive insult, but let's try and rearrange itself. But it's very hard to know if that's what's going on, whether the body's created its own colon type part of that, you know, smaller intestine well, the where thing about- it's got its microbiome. Yeah. How else would you be surviving? (laughs) Right. Exactly. The thing about the gallbladder is the gallbladder doesn't produce the bile. It just stores it. So bile is still being produced by the liver. It's just Mm -hmm. that it's not being timed with when you're eating a meal that has fat in. So, you know, you you can, you, you might not be properly digesting your fats. And that's one of the reasons for doing a stool test as part of your workup, because you can see the steatorrhea, which is the fats that have been undigested. And then you can give them a supplement that contains some ox bile. Yeah. Tudker is my favorite sort of go to or ox bile. Uh, and I think that that's a really good one for SIBO too. Do you do you, uh, do you think so as well? Like Tudka? I, I think it can to, be. Yeah. And then the other way to go is with uh, herbal bitters, which stimulates your body to produce bile and HCL and pancreatic enzymes. Yeah. And things like um, phosphatidylcholine, you know, um, I don't know if you're aware of Dr. Was it ben, Dr. Ben Lynch's work, I think, um, you know, you need 10 parts phosphatidylcholine to one part uh, cholesterol. And when you've got too much cholesterol in the gallbladder or when you're producing bile, then it's going to get very sludgy or stones and, and block up. Right. Um, and that whole methylation, uh, you know, because phosphatidylcholine, Phosphatidylcholine is produced from the methylation process. So if your methylation right. is mucked up, then you're going to maybe have issues with your gallbladder, amongst other things, you know, many other things. Um, so it, that, that's an interesting one. But putting just putting phosphatidylcholine into the diet isn't maybe necessarily the answer either because 
although that can be supportive for brain health and cholesterol and you know lots of other things but you still got to digest that fat with the bile that you don't have <laughs> you know right. or that sludgy For, fortunately you still have some lipase which is produced by the pancreas which good helps point. break down fat yeah yeah that's a good point and, so and, and like like i mentioned you know the liver is still producing bile it's just not perfectly timed yeah, it's not squirting out and out of out of the bag. So, uh, but it's still going to pump out periodically, and it takes a while to digest your food. So potentially, you you might still have enough bile to break down your fats. Yeah, and just you know, keeping an eye on the toilet bowl and seeing if you've got floaty poos or not. <laughs> <laughs> Skinnies on the on the bowl. Sorry for being so graphic, everybody, <laughs> but that, those are sort of signs that maybe you're not digesting your fat. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And Ana- analyzing poo is an important part of the job. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important job. I'm, Everyone I'm should I'm... have the Bristol stool chart on their wall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> I, I interviewed Alison Seebecker and she has a coffee cup on her desk with the Bristol stool chart. <laughs> <laughs> That's taken it a bit far. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone look up the Bristol stool chart for an image of what your poo should look like so that you, you, you know whether, you know, so, so, and check in the bowl and check what is there. And if you're, if you, if it's not looking like that and you're having problems, then maybe, you know, time to go and get a microbiome test done because most of the time you do find some something is out, you know, there's some parasite, some bacteria, something that you could be working on to improve your health, you know. Um, I, I had, you know, I was talking about my mum previously with you and um, the latest drama, you know, after getting the MRI back that said the cancer was still clear and we had none of that on the very same day she went into hospital with GI bleeding. <laughs> so oh, no. we ended up, yeah, she she ended up very, very sick and they nearly took out her colon, the whole colon. Um, luckily, you know, and whether she would have survived an operation like that at 80, 82 um, was, was very questionable and whether, you know, she'd have ever gotten back so i we we held on that decision as long as we possibly could and the 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 bleeding thank god stopped her but we had you know 16 units of blood now with her we've had um you know a long history of diverticulitis and when they did the uh the brain surgery for the um tumors the motility stopped so the vagus nerve must have been impacted by that operation i don't know how what but the motility in the gut and that you know migrating motor complex is no longer uh, working, and you've got diverticular, which is you know diverticular disease where you've got little outpouchings. A lot of older people have this, and um, they can just let go. So you know by telling that story, I, want, I just want to share like the gut is not it's not you can die. She nearly died, right. yeah. and she's still like we're still um, you know waiting for colonoscopies and things like that to find out where the heck this is. It's not something that they can easily repair when something like that goes wrong. Okay, she's had a history of cancer and all the other stuff that she's gone through. So we've we've been dealing with a lot of shit, you know, literally. Yeah, and, and that fits into the category. We've been talking about functional gut disorders. That's clearly a structural gut disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no what what would be called a repair would be just cutting out that part of the intestine. Yeah. Well, that well over here, the whole thing is just take the whole thing out. And I was like, can't you, you know, like find just the just the part? But that's oh, if we're going in, we're going in. We're going to take the the entire thing out. And yeah, 
um, yeah, we we managed to dodge that bullet, thank God. But or, you know, touch wood, she's still at risk. Um, but just to understand that these things, you know, and Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and things, it can they can be deadly. They can be deadly. So looking after your gut health is not just about optimizing, but can be preventing, you know, major catastrophes as well. Um, not to not to mention, of course, the the risk of things like um, colorectal cancers and things that go up when you've got ongoing problems in in that in that department, or even problems in the Any, liver. Anytime you have chronic inflammation, that's something that increases your risk of uh, cancer. Yeah, exactly, and that's what's going on in so many so many cases. Um, okay, Doctor Ben, so. We've 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 beat to death the gut. <laughs> what are some of your uh, other sort of favourite topics to to talk about in the functional medicine world? What's what's got your attention at the moment? Um, you know, um, uh, uh, cardiovascular risk factors. I've been doing a lot of investigation and mm-hmm. looking at some of those situations, and you know. What's what's the like? Here's one topic that I've been somewhat focused on is when it comes to looking at your risk for cardiovascular disease. And when we look at, say, your uh, LDL cholesterol levels, um, uh, you know, better than the LDL um, estimated number that's part of a standard lipid profile, we like to look at the LDL particle number. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of us are starting to look at ApoB. Yep. And, and so the higher that gets, the more it can increase your risk of atherosclerosis or blockages developing in the arteries. Now it's not that simple. You've got to have um, some some inflammation in those arteries. They, a lot of it has to do with the health of the endothelium, which is mm-hmm. the lining of the arteries. But there's been a tendency to say, especially in the functional medicine world, let's just drive down those cholesterol levels as low as possible. Yeah, no, <laughs> not good. So, so um, I, I recently heard Peter Atia, who's you know a brilliant uh, yeah. practitioner who has a very popular podcast, The Drive, and he's advocating lowering your LDL or your ApoB down to 30 or 40 level, and that will eliminate cardiovascular disease. And uh, people who argue this claim that there's no negative effects on the brain function. But I just don't see how that could possibly be the case. I don't think it is the case. I think there's plenty of studies showing that brain function gets impaired when you drive that LDL level too low. Yeah. And your hormones. And your hormones. Absolutely. So we were just talking about how um, you lower your LDL and all of a sudden your vitamin D goes down, your hormones go down, your brain health goes down. So there's got to be a healthy balance. Yeah, and this is, a, this is an area that I'm studying too, and and you know, in the weeds and not understanding all of the the nuance of. And I've been following Peter Tito for for a while, and my God, that you want a technical podcast, people, that's a good one. To say. He goes deep, and he's a very clever man. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but I, you know, uh, like with someone like my mum or I work with a lot of stroke or Alzheimer's patients, if you drive their cholesterol, you do see an impact on the brain. I see it very quickly. If I drive mum's cholesterol down too low, then we definitely see an impact on, on, on brain function and, um, you know, cognitive impairment. So, uh, I think it's a really fine balancing line of of you know trying to get that that right and understand you know the the LP little a and the 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 BLDL and the different particle sizes that there are and you know and this is not an, a normal workup and um you know it's something that I'm studying and working with a couple of mentors on and trying to get my head around it all because it's a it's a big world but I think even in the hormone space this is also you've got you know menopausal women or things when you drive that too low again you're going to impact so many other systems so cholesterol isn't the big bad wolf it's also the inflammation and the arteries and what what's actually happening in the endothelial lining is very very important to, as part of that whole picture and so absolutely yeah. you know the yeah. argument of, about uh cholesterol and the brain it's similar to the issue with the relationship between uh the gut and 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 the neurotransmitters in the brain mm-hmm. is uh for example we know that 80% of the neurotransmitters are produced in the brain in the gut, yet the neurotransmitters like the serotonin in the brain are actually produced in the brain. Yeah. So you might say, well, the brain has nothing to do with the gut. And we don't know exactly how they interact, but I, there's plenty of data to show that if you your gut is unhealthy, you're going to have more problems with the neurotransmitters. The connection between the brain and the gut is real. Yeah. And how is it that neurotransmitter production in the gut affects neurotransmitter production in the brain. Even though they seem like they're separate, they're definitely connected in some way. And the same argument is made for cholesterol, which is that the cholesterol in the brain is made in the brain and it's separate from the cholesterol that's made by the liver that's seen in the arteries. And, and, And that may be the case, but there's definitely a connection. Yeah, I, I I agree totally, and I don't think we've got it completely worked out. No, I don't think we have either. I think no. that I think that science will eventually show what that connection is. Yeah, and, and the vagal nerve signaling and communication. Yeah, um, and it's a two-way street, eh? The vagal nerve speaks down to the gut, but the gut also speaks up, to, you know, via absolutely. the vagal nerve. And, right. and so many people that have depression, have ADHD, have, uh, you know, all of the uh, mood disorders, those types of things, you know, um, definitely, like I know, like if my histamine levels get too high, I become a raging maniac, you know, like um, <laughs> <laughs> I get so angry, you know, like it just it just immediately uh, hits me. Um, and Absolutely. Also, also, your methylation status. You know, if I um, over over methylated myself a while back with some, you know, folate, just took a bit too much, and that really impacted the mood. And I was like really snappy and irritable and grumpy. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> pull back on the folate, you know. Um, and and these things seem very benign, but they're actually powerful, powerful. And and the methylation cycle. Oh my god, don't get me started on that. <laughs> that I'm, you know, trying to understand the whole methylation. But these, the all of the, when you have mood and behaviour disorders, or depression, or ADHD, or, or you know, all of these mental things, they are impacted 
by the state of your gut. So look there, look there first, look the methylation perhaps as well, um, and see that you're getting also the nutrients that should be coming in to help support that new. You know, yeah, it's, 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 there's really something wrong with our healthcare system if patients are being seen for mood disorders like depression and anxiety and nobody's even asking about their gut health. Yeah, that should be number one. They should be Absolutely. running a microbiome test and seeing what's going on there, you know, and then maybe looking at the methylation cycle if they're if they're able to getting a genetic test, seeing where they, you know, all of their methylation genes are at, you know, in their status as well as their not just their serum levels, but you know, trying to get again going back to that whole workup if you possibly can, because if otherwise just giving them an SSRI when perhaps they genetically don't do well with that even because they right. don't have like if you don't have enough serotonin, you might be able to inhibit the reuptake of serotonin, but you had none to begin with. Well, that's exactly, Ex- exactly. <laughs> and 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 in the functional medicine world, we're not okay with this is lower, this is high. We want to know why is this lower? Why is this high? Yeah, yeah. And, that, you and know, let's come- try to figure out why your body's not producing the right amount of what it normally should, that yeah. it needs. Exactly, exactly. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmity.com. And then playing around, you know, with the, the combinations that you have to sometimes tweak and change and develop and, you know, and, and then doing the basics right, you know, going back to, you know, just finishing up maybe with a lifestyle interventions because, you know, it's it's we can do things like uh, getting sunshine. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Walking in the forest. You're walking uh, in the forest, getting some infrared breathe, light. Breathing you know? properly through your nose. Uh, yeah. Avoiding, you know, toxic environments. Well, that's a difficult one nowadays. <laughs> um, but doing the best you can to avoid toxins in your home and avoid cleaning products that are really poor. You know, the the hygiene hypothesis, you know, like I'm, it's one of the, another one of my pet peeves that we just, you know, it kills 99% of all the So germs, we, shouldn't wear, we shouldn't walk around with a uh, a mask and gloves for the rest of our life. That uh, wouldn't make us the most healthy we could ever be. Oh, my God. Because yeah. we would never, ever <laughs> want to get exposed to any germs ever for the rest of my life. So that your immune system becomes that fat dude on the couch. That's, exactly. That's not, yeah, exactly. And this isn't a man, uh, must mandate uh, um, discussion, but the, though wearing those things is so detrimental to your health. That's the funny thing, you know, like it's just really not, and it's, it doesn't, as we know, it doesn't. It, it has its anything. place in certain settings. <laughs> yeah, if you're in surgery, yep. you're in the hospital. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. You know? 
Absolutely, but not, you know, ideally don't wear them for 14 hours a day, you know, um, <laughs> because you're not going to be healthy yourself doing absolutely. that. <laughs> Dr. Ben, you've been absolutely amazing. We've gone all over the shop. Um, <laughs> it's, been, it's been fun. I, I, I apologize for not being particularly disciplined about the topic. <laughs> oh, no, I never am. People who follow me know that I sort of wander and all sort of. Um, okay. I, yeah, a bit of ADHD, you see, so. <laughs> I'm there with you. <laughs> I'd love to have you back on again. It's been absolutely fabulous. I had your uh, colleague, uh, Dr. Rob Silverman, on the other day, just two oh, days ago. Cool. And, oh, what a fabulous man he is as well. So that was <laughs> real, really, really fun. Hey, um, Dr. Ben, anything, any last words? Where can people find you? Can people work with you over telehealth, uh, your Instagram, yes. all of that sort of good stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the best way to find me is through my website, drweitz.com. Mm-hmm. And um, you can come to my Santa Monica, California office. We can do functional medicine consultation. I can work with you through Zoom. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Ben White. Um, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on uh, X, I'm on, you know, all the social media (laughs) stuff, (laughs) but uh, contact me through my website and I'd be happy to uh, help you um, promote your uh, optimal health. Absolutely. And uh, your Rational Wellness Podcast. That's uh, Absolutely. Please check out the Rational Wellness Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There's a video version on YouTube. Check it out, please. Yeah, it's really, really well worth it. Believe me, guys, and I'm a podcast fiend. So (laughs) thank you, Dr. Ben. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Lisa. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review, and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.